going on everybody it is hardest part of the ring here with another episode of the apron bump podcast who we your daily not daily your podcast for wrestling commentary wrestling news but also apparently i'm just a wrestling ne- um not, not Negro Domus. I only have the Chappelle Show version. Um, no, no, fuck. What's it called when you like tell the future? That guy that tells the future. Nostradamus, not Negro Domus. Nostradamus. I am your wrestling Nostradamus. Why is that hardest part of the ring? I'll tell you. Because last week in my episode that was recorded prior to Raw. I basically laid out to you the whole Randy Orton, you know, fake retirement angle, whatever you want to call it. I don't know why everybody was so surprised, honestly. My man, my man's was the storyline was that his knee was injured. I mean, there was just a, a litany of reasons not to believe that he was retiring. First of all, a leg injury is not like if you get a leg injury. You, you can get some pretty gnarly leg injuries, but you're not going to know in a 24-hour window that you're going to have to retire from your sport. That's just not how it happens. It didn't happen to, to Edge. You know, Edge, it took months for him to figure out that he, his injury was, was going to force him to retire. Same thing with Daniel Bryan. Paige was pretty quick, but it wasn't a day. It was It was a while before she learned that she had to retire. So you're telling me that fucking Randy Orton tweaks his knee at a house show and then less than a day later he has to throw away his whole career not only that but like you know you're watching Raw last week right and they weren't <clears throat> they didn't build it. when Randy Orton retires that is going to be like a main event send off that's going to be like Ric Flair retiring worthy or at least you know Daniel Bryan worthy it's going to be like that. It's not going to be this thing where they don't mention it until, when was it, like hour two when he did his, his little promo. They, they literally didn't mention it until like the commercial break right before it. You really think they're just not going to build to that shit? I mean, granted, Randy did a pretty good job with his promo. But it was a little much. Like He was having like, he was just struggling a little too much getting in the ring, you know what I mean? But, you know, they did what they did. They did, like, literally go back to the last episode, and I lay it out almost exactly. Like, down to the fact that he he can't he comes out in crutches, and then he, like, lures AJ in and pounces on him when he doesn't expect it. Like, I, I laid it all out for you. So, pay close attention to this episode, because I'm, I'm recording this also before, or I guess Raw... As I'm recording this, Raw is happening, but I don't anticipate anything too major happening tonight. Um, but if anything, if there's anything super crazy happening or super crazy returns, then I will, uh, I guess, uh, throw up another episode and talk about those major happenings if they do happen. If not, they'll just be on whenever my next episode is. So you're welcome, Negro Damas. Um,. Before uh, we kind of like just kind of go through the week, this past week in wrestling, 
Uh, just a few quick notes. One, I have not finished Wrestle Kingdom yet. Um, I have finished night one, but um, I'll wait until I'm finished with both nights to give my full review of those shows. And when I say full review, I mean most of the matches. I'll review. So Wrestle Kingdom review is coming. Also be in the next few days, be on the lookout for my NXT UK binge podcast, where basically I'm going through about two months of episodes. Um, I'm not going to like go into huge detail in every episode. I'm going to try to keep that podcast to like an hour, hour and a half, but, um, or maybe two parted. I don't know. We'll see how, we'll see how willy nilly I go in those things. But, um, so yeah, we got a Wrestle Kingdom podcast coming up soon. Got a UK podcast coming up soon. And of course, I'll be uh, reviewing the uh, NXT UK TakeOver Blackpool pay-per-view that is happening uh, this Sunday, I believe. So keep a lookout for that. And um, yeah, as far as this past week goes, I mean, I got to, if, if there's any one highlight, if there's one thing that we have to talk about, it is that goddamn Bobby Lashley, Lana wedding. Bar none, best wrestling wedding I've ever seen. Maybe not best, but it's probably the one I enjoyed the most. It was just a utter train wreck in the best way possible. And like, and the fact that the, what made it so great is that there were a lot of things that they did that made it entertaining that weren't even intended. Like, for example, fuck it. Okay. The wedding starts, right? And you have the, the priest in the ring with the microphone, the whole deal. And then he introduces Bobby Lashley as the Almighty. And then Bobby Lashley walks out wearing a fucking a vest with no shirt, coming down the aisle for his wedding with his entrance music, being introduced with his nickname. Shit, dog. I want to be called the Almighty at my wedding. Is that is that a thing that can happen? Apparently, it's a thing that can happen. Can I have can I have badass entrance music as I walk down the aisle wearing no shirt? I think that's the dream. If that's not goals, I don't know what is. But yeah, you have you have Bobby Lashley with his over dramatic entrance, and then speaking of Bobby, probably one of the like the the low key funniest parts of the whole thing was when uh. You know, they're doing the whole gimmick where the priest or the whatever you call him, the pastor priest, he's he's basically reading the vows and all they got to do is repeat what he's saying. And then Bobby just at one point just completely fucks it up. I could, I forget like what exactly it was. It was like, you know, the whole to cherish. It was like as big. It was like kind of a long thing to remember and then regurgitate. And Bobby got like 30 percent of it. <laughs> and I mean, you have that. You have um, you have Lana's makeup rubbing off or Bobby's rubbing off on her. I don't really, I'm still kind of confused at what happened there, but she had this fucking big brown smudge in the middle of her forehead. I mean, her makeup just in general, like originally it looked awful. She looked like a goddamn China doll. And I don't even think it was bad on purpose. I think she actually thought that looked good, but it did not. It looked very, very tacky. But then you have Bobby, and her face rubbing against each other, making it look all the much worse, which is just hysterical, dude. Like, do you do you not like this? I'm, when I say you, I'm talking to those, like fucking Brian Alvarez or or Brad Shepard or all you Twitter warriors who are 
claiming that this was embarrassing, claiming that it was garbage TV. It is great TV. This is what sports entertainment is. This is the kind of shit that made WWF and the Attitude Era fantastic, is goofy shit like this. You need goofy shit like this. It's entertaining. It was great. You have Bobby Lashley coming out to entrance music. You have makeup rubbing off. You have Lana trying to... Trying to... Looks she, she's... Lana is probably one of the worst improvisers I've ever seen in my life. Like, I get... The character she's going for, she's trying to be, you know, self-involved, very egotistical. It's, it's a, you know, you see that a lot in wrestling. But the way she's executing it is very, it's very clumsy. There's no subtlety to it. And she's not, she's just not doing a very good job at it. I mean, she's just, what, what did she, she keeps saying? Like, it's, it's all about me. Lana, Lana, Lana. Like, nobody talks like that. You want, you want people to really dislike you? I mean, look at Charlotte. Even when she's a baby face, she's a fucking cunt and a half. Just cause she has, she has these little things that she does that make her look like a hateable bitch. Or even like a, an Alexa Bliss. Or, um, Shayna Baszler. They're, they're very subtle in what they do. Lana is just very, very, you know, right in your face. Whenever It's like whenever she talks, it takes me out of it. A good promo is somebody that will suck me into what they're saying and will make me suspend my disbelief and bring me to a world where this is all real and this is all legitimate conflict that is happening before me whenever lana starts talking i'm like oh this is that's right this is scripted i forgot because she's just she's very i don't know she's just very bull in a china shop on on the on the mic she doesn't have a lot of variety in what she says she she comes off a little autistic i don't know what it is but in my opinion the less she talks the better or she just needs to really really take some time and work on maybe maybe open up a thesaurus or something i don't know what she needs to do but a lot of what she's done what she's doing is very bad however that being said when that is incorporated into this train train wreck of a wedding it makes it all the more better because the whole gimmick here is that it's it's terrible tv right it's designed to be terrible tv they didn't Go out there thinking, oh, we're going to put on a quality acting performance and everybody's going to love it. No, it's supposed to be a goddamn tornado. And that's what it was. They executed it. They executed what they were going for very well in most instances. So, and then you have the whole Liv Morgan thing and people, God, I don't even, I guess I just get so irritated with social media, man. Oh, why are they making Liv and Lana do the storyline when Sonya and Mandy Rose, Sonya Deville and Mandy Rose got a storyline next. They, they, they were planning on doing a program with them, but uh, Vince didn't like it uh, because, show you, were they? Or are you just assuming they were because Sonya Deville is gay and she happens to have a tag team partner? You ever think maybe Sonya doesn't want to do it? Or maybe Mandy doesn't want to do it? Or maybe it wasn't the right time for them to do it? Maybe... 
Sonya Deville and Mandy Rose doing a gay angle provides no benefit to any of them. Maybe they just want to be, you know, sexually generic wrestlers and to build their characters outside of their sexuality rather than use the crutch of the lesbian angle. You ever think about that? You don't know. There were plans in the works. Were there? Or are you guessing? Or are you just blindly following Dave Meltzer's guessing? Guessing. He doesn't have a source. He is not a fly on the wall in the creative meetings. Dave Meltzer watches the product and makes educated guesses based on prior history. He's very smart at doing that. He's very good at making those educated guesses. But he's not the be-all, end-all news source of what's happening behind the scenes. He doesn't know any more than we do. Get over yourselves. You don't. You have no idea if there was a lesbian angle between Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville. You have no idea. Stop thinking that you do. You're not in the know. You're a goddamn fan. Be it. Be a fan. Stop trying to be an analyst. Now... Let me continue to analyze the product. So you have Liv Morgan coming out. <laughs> I mean, I think it's too early to really cast any judgment on this storyline. It is a bit bizarre. And, you know, when Liv and Lana had that, you know, the, their confrontation, when they started to, like, catfight in the corner, the crowd just died. So I'm sure they'll try it again tonight. Or uh, I'm sure they tried it again last night. Whenever you're, whenever you're probably listening to this, but I don't know how long, how many, how much legs the storyline has. It could just be a thing that's forgotten in a few weeks. But I'm kind of indifferent on Liv Morgan. I have no reason to to believe that she'll be good in this role or that she'll be good in another role or whatever. So I'm just gonna sit back and let things happen and then cast judgment once I have further things to base it on. But as far as the whole wedding angle goes in general, I think it was a smash hit. It was. Garbage TV in the best way. I could not keep my eyes off the TV. So, bravo, WWE. Bravo. Um, as far as uh, other things that happened on Raw, uh, we already touched on the Randy Randy Orton promo and the Lana Lashley wedding. Those were really the two major things. A lot of build towards the Royal Rumble. So, like, you had Drew McIntyre squashing Hawkins and Ryder. Drew McIntyre has never been more ready than he is now. This dude has the look. This dude has the size, the speed, the technique. He's foreign, which makes him interesting, I think, right? And like we're seeing we've been seeing in the past few weeks. I don't know if you guys have really caught on to this. So like Drew came on whatever what was it? A year or two ago with Ziggler. And from that point forward, he was kind of just like this stoic medicine henchman or bodyguard type character he didn't really talk a lot and when he did it was just kind of like quick badass stuff like i'm going to rip you apart or whatever you know whatever his deal is but in the past few weeks it looks like you know he's been a little more i mean he's always had charisma but he's been more like there's been more humor invoked into his character there's been more like cockiness and arrogance i think Maybe that's what he needs to really connect. Because he's been... He is hella entertaining, dude. 
I mean, you, you actively see him trying to have per- more personality. And uh, I think it just comes natural to him. And in my opinion, I see this eventually leading to a huge babyface run for him. I think he's, 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 he has natural charisma. I think he's likable. I think he's hilarious. But he's also badass and a credible world title contender. This is what I want. Give me Drew winning the Royal Rumble. Just just do it. Not Roman Reigns, but I already tried that. He'll, he'll get to the main event of WrestleMania in another way. Give me Drew McIntyre winning the Royal Rumble. I'm sick of seeing him as a nameless faction member. I'm sick of seeing him as the fourth man in a, in a faction. Give me him as a single star. He needs it now. He is the best you fucking got. Drew McIntyre wins the Royal Rumble, goes on to WrestleMania, faces Brock Lesnar. Drew McIntyre versus Brock Lesnar. Tell me you're not nutting in your fucking pants right now. Tell me there's not creamy goo running down your khakis as you think of the thought of this this Haas fight between Drew McIntyre and Brock Lesnar for the WWE Championship at WrestleMania. That's all I need, and that's all I want. Anyways, sorry, get a little fired up there. Um, what else? What else happened on Raw? You had well, it opened up with you know KO Kevin Owens. If you're not familiar, uh, Kevin Owens, Seth Rollins, AOP, that whole confrontation, and you have Joe coming out to save Kevin Owens as he's getting beat down, basically establishing that Joe is in this fight with Kevin Owens, and they're pretty much going to join forces to take. To uh, take down AOP and Seth Rollins, I imagine Rey Mysterio will get re-entered into the fold eventually. I kind of like this whole deal. I like the team of Kevin Owens and Samoa Joe. I think, I think they're uh, kind of they're both badass dudes, but they're also really entertaining. Kind of you know along the lines of Drew McIntyre. Um, I mean, what was that? That that little backstage deal after the after the pull apart to open up Raw. Kevin Owens and Samoa Joe are backstage, and Joe was like. Because they have like the security guards trying to hold him back, right? And Joe's like, "If anybody touches me, you ain't gonna feel no fingers no more," or whatever he said. I can't talk like him. But anyway, uh, cool little deal there. We'll see how uh, that little storyline unfolds. Uh, after that, you had an Eric Rowan squash. Another one. Seems like they're kind of just buying time for this guy to until he kind of organically falls into some storyline. Um, they're really teasing the little uh, little cage deal with him. I have a strong feeling that like they're either it's either just gonna like fade away, or it's gonna end up being like an empty cage, and it's gonna be like his imaginary friend or something, something stupid like that. I just I just feel it coming, but uh, who knows? Who knows with Eric Rowan? I don't really see a lot with him in the future, anyways. Um, Charlotte and Natty had a great match. Um, really, just kind of a build towards the Royal Rumble, so not a lot of stakes involved here. One thing I do want to point out: this whole. Because a lot of people do it. The whole concept of just being like, I am announcing that I'm entering the Royal Rumble. Why, how is that a thing? Why Why aren't people earning spots in the Royal Rumble anymore? It's such a weird concept. Like, can anybody do that? Can, uh, can fucking, can Eric Young come out and be like, I'm entering the Royal Rumble? No, he's not going to do that. So why is Charlotte going to do that? I don't know, that, that, that's just a weird concept to me. And it's been happening the past few years. Just people being like, okay, I, I guess I'll enter the Royal Rumble and compete for a shot at the title at WrestleMania. I guess I'll do that because I want to. Where's the authority here? Um, But whatever. So Charlotte and Natty, uh, really good match. 
I, I guess I guess Natty's a heel now. You know, she's kind of like the lady big show here. She kind of just flips back and forth incoherently. So she kind of seemed to flip mid match. Like it's it's see uh, it look it seemed like it was supposed to be a big deal, but I don't think the crowd really caught on to it. Natty just kind of all of a sudden started telling him to shut up and was kind of just a little more aggressive. It was like a subtle thing, which I guess isn't bad. You know, it doesn't always have to be like right in your face or anything, but who knows? She's kind of, um, Natalia is the epitome of who gives a fuck. So she's a great, you know, she has, she's not as good as people make her out to be. I think people just associate her with the heart. So they just assume she's just, she's this great technician, but there's a lot of things that she does that is very clumsy. It's very, you know, kind of like what, what I was talking about with Lana earlier. Like, she's very, like, very, like, not subtle, very cringeworthy. Like, she, 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 when she tries to be a heel, she's very, like, just yells. I don't know how to describe it, man. She's just not very good at being a wrestler. Um, anyways, so I, but I say that even though this match is great. So I guess I'm kind of contradicting myself, but go fuck yourself. Next match, Street Profits versus OC. Basically, the story here is that the OC lost to the Street Profits when the Street Profits debuted on Raw. And even though that the OC lost to the Street Profits, the OC has since then beaten the tag champs. So there's kind of like a who's the true number one contender here and then. Basically, the Street Profits win this match again and sets up a triple threat tag team match for the titles tonight on Raw. So, who knows? Um, I assume... See, I'm recording this as Raw is happening. So, here's your your hardest part of the ring. Nostradamus moment. I see the Viking Raiders retaining here. Kind of a safe pick, but I don't see uh, the OC beating them again. Actually, you know what? You know what? I'll amend that. I'll amend that. I bet you that the OC pins the Street Profits to win the titles. That's my guess, and I bet you that fucking happens. But we'll see. Maybe I'm totally wrong. Um, uh, after that, you had uh, the whole deal with Andrade and Ricochet basically building to a United States championship match between the two, which I'm all for. Um, oh, wait, no, they didn't because fucking Andrade won. So R- Ricochet basically challenges Andrade to a match kind of making it seem like they're going to build to a U.S. title feud between the two but Andrade ends up winning with the help of Zelina and uh, Andrade will face Ray next week it feels like they've like Andrade and Ray have great chemistry together but it seems like once they like once WWE finds something great they just have to like drill it into your head till you don't like it anymore not saying that I won't like this match but I feel like we've just seen Andrade versus Ray a thousand times in the past few months. But you had a little wrinkle on here that's for the U.S. title. So I'm not going to complain at all. Just saying too much can definitely hurt something like that. Um, but regardless, in this case, I am looking forward to that match. I think that about covers it um, on Raw. So it was actually a, a pretty good show overall. You know, it's start of a new year, revving up for a Rumble revving up for WrestleMania season. So we're most likely going to see uh, the weekly shows bump up in quality. So Nito Burrito, love it. NXT was a award show this week, so I did not watch. Um, it's my understanding that they gave out awards, but also recap some of the best matches. 
over the past year, which I've seen all of them. And I don't know, to me, the whole award concept in wrestling is just, it's a, it's a little silly. I mean, I guess no sillier than predetermined competitive matches, but I don't, but I don't know. Man. I just don't care about the awards. They just, uh, they hold no weight. I mean, you might see like in the next week or two, Adam Cole will come out and, you know, Mara will be like, oh, here's the NXT overall competitor of the year. And that'll be a little like sidebar for the next week or two. But then by February, nobody's going to remember who won awards. So it really doesn't matter. So I didn't really care to tune in this week. As far as the uh, the Wednesday night counterpart goes, AEW was actually a very good show. Um, there are certain things that I like about AEW and certain things that I do not like. This episode last week had a lot of the things that I like about AEW. Mainly, I don't like spot monkey shit. I don't like flips for the sake of flips. I don't like no-sells for the sake of no-sells. We did see a lot of that in the main event, but we'll work our way towards that. So AEW Dynamite starts out with Cody versus Darby Allen. This is a rematch from, I believe, Fight for the Fallen. Uh, one, of, one of their you know pre-Dynamite shows where Cody and Darby Allen fought to a time limit, time limit draw. So um, pretty intriguing story behind that. It's basically unfinished business between them. Um, another little wrinkle they added in there was Arn Anderson becoming the head coach for Cody, which is silly as fuck, is unneeded. Um, yeah, you can have Arn doing the whole deal where he's holding like a piece of paper in front of his mouth. Like they do like on football, like college football, NFL, they, they hold a little sheet in front of their mouth so nobody can read their lips. He's doing the whole thing like that, which like, who's going to just whisper to him? You don't need to fucking hold it in front of your mouth. But anyways, Arn's out there as Cody's head coach ultimately comes into play when Arn. So you have Cody is laying in the center of the ring, right? And uh, Darby Allen's going up there for the coffin drop, and Arn yells at Cody, get your knees up, get your knees up. And Cody gets his knees up, and he's able to win as a result of that. And it was a, l- a little funny part about that. They did the same spot with Cody on the apron, and uh, Darby Allen went for the coffin drop and hit it. But it's very clear that the commentators were all anticipating that, that knee that, that that call from Arn Anderson to, to get Cody's knees up. And um, in this spot on the apron, Cody did not get his knees up, but JR and Excalibur were like, oh, did, did, I, I, I think he got his knees up. I don't know. We, we, we got to see it from a different angle. I mean, it, it didn't look like it from there, but another, another angle looked like he got his knees up. I think Arn did, but they didn't. They just called it too early. But um, either way, very good match. Cody is, as, uh, I don't think anybody has turned me more than Cody Rhodes has in the past year or so. Um, there's still a lot of corny shit that he does that kind of irks me, but as far as his style of wrestling and his, his ability to pay attention to the small details of, you know, in-ring work or promos and his whole presentation, I like, I I like what Cody's doing in AEW and I hope to see him as a, I mean, obviously, I mean, he's an EVP of the company, so he's going to be a main focal point which I am happy for because Cody and Darby Allen, for that matter, both doing really good stuff. And are two, uh, as far as stars that AEW has built, you can point your finger at those two guys 
as far as uh, legitimate stars that have been created under the AEW banner. After that, you have the stellar AEW women's division on display. Um, Originally, this was supposed to be a one-on-one match for the championship. Supposed to be Riho versus Chris Statlander, but from what I'm understanding, Statlander had other commitments, which I don't know if they ever elaborated on what those commitments were, but for whatever reason, Statlander was not able to be there, so they called an audible and made this a fatal four-way for the AEW Women's Championship. Riho versus Nyla Rose versus uh, Hikaru Shida versus Britt Baker. It was a a solid match, I guess. Um, As far as the bar that's been set, I would say that this match went above that. But, you know, Riho wins with a quick roll-up. Nothing, uh, nothing real, not, not a real standout match here, but, uh, good for what it was. Then you had, a uh, Nyla attack her after. And then later in the show, you had Britt Baker getting mad at, like, Riho was backstage, and then Britt Baker interrupts and claims that she stole the spotlight or whatever, whatever she said. What did she say? Either way, Riho retains the title. Uh, looks like, I'm not sure if they're building to a, a match with Nyla Rose again, or if they're building to one with Burt Baker, or, or, I mean, and they still got the Chris Statlander match coming up, so, I guess it's, it's not a bad thing to have a lot of contenders for a title, um, but it seems kind of directionless now, so, interested to see where they go forward with the women's division here. After this match, you have a, a Joey Janela, <laughs> Joey Janela's backstage, this is probably like low-key one of the most entertaining parts of the show. It's a backstage interview with Joey Janela, and then Joey starts talking, and then you see this, like, he has this goofy look on his face. I thought he was doing a bit of some sort, but apparently he got low bo- low blowed by his, uh, his ex-girlfriend, Penelope Ford, and Kip Sabian, I guess. I don't know if he's, his, he's her shoot boyfriend or what, but... My favorite part of this whole deal was Alex Marvez, the interviewer, and what did he, like, Joey got low blowed, and Marvez is like, oh my, or whatever the fuck he said, but it is like such a ridiculous reaction to it. Go back and watch that if you want to laugh at something. Then you have uh, Trent Moretta versus John Moxley. This is a really good match. Uh, this is a hard-hitting match. It was paced well. It wasn't just a lot of spots for the sick of spots. Like there was, there was a brutal pile driver by uh, by Trent during this match, and a even more brutal paradigm shift on the outside ramp, which is, it was one of those ramps where it's on level with the ring. Really, I mean, you could just hear the the wood of the ramp when Trent got DDT'd into it, and. Another, uh, and speaking of things that I liked about this match, that paradigm shift on the ramp was the finish, or at least led to the finish. You see a lot of these wacky spots, these crazy moves, but then they don't end the match. They're just a, a part of the match. You know, they do it and move on. But this this paradigm shift on the outside ramp ended the match, um, gave John Moxley the win. They're uh, doing a really good job at building John Moxley up as a uh, unbeatable contender for Jericho and really giving Jericho a reason to want to avoid him. So good stuff there. After the match, you have Sammy Guevara come out, coming out through the crowd like, like Moxley does in his entrance. Um, and then you have, uh, Chris Jericho pop on the screen with some, uh, pre-tape promo offering him 
a variety offering John Moxley a variety of things. Offering him 49% of the Inner Circle LLC. Offering him an opportunity to be the executive vice president of the Inner Circle. Offering him to lead the Inner Circle with Chris Jericho. So I guess they're on the same, they'll be on the same, they'd have the same authority over the Inner Circle. So over that five man entity, they would have the same authority. And, uh, on top of all that, Jericho offers Moxley a incredibly expensive millions of dollars worth Ford GT. Pretty simple story here. You know, Jericho's this delusional, materialistic, gaudy type of character. And these material possessions, they might mean a lot to Jericho. But the question is, does it mean the same amount to John Moxley. And I mean, I think it's pretty clear that John Moxley's not going to take up this offer and he's going to end up challenging Jericho in some sort of way. In my opinion, Nostradamus back here again with you. Moxley's probably going to end up. I bet you this is, I bet you this is what's going to happen because on, on this episode of dynamite, he didn't answer Jericho. He basically said he was going to give him an answer in person. Basically, I see it happening like this. John Moxley is going to accept Jericho's offer. He's going to accept all of the all of the privileges of the being in the inner circle, and he's going to accept that Ford GT vehicle. And then what Moxley is going to proceed to do, he's he's going to he's going to I'm, I'm assuming he's you know whether it's backstage or they like drive the car to the ring, whatever they do. Moxley will like check out the, the car, you know, he'll, he'll, you know, rub it down, look on the inside, get a good look at it. You know, him, him and Jericho are all buddy, buddy, he's shaking hands with all of them. And then at some point, Moxley is fucking destroying that car. I see it happening. That car is a prop for Moxley to inevitably end up declining the offer, end up pissing off Jericho. You know, he's going to destroy the car. He's going to destroy Jericho. Then you have Jericho Moxley at Revolution for the AEW World Championship. Watch it unfold as I described it. So, yeah, that's that's that. That's that whole deal. Um, continuing with the inner circle, you have Sammy Guevara versus Dustin Rhodes. Man, Dustin does not age, does he? Like, I want to know what that dude eats or what that what that dude works out with. Because he is legitimately better than he has ever been before. And Sammy, you know, he's Sammy's pretty good too. Definitely still young, definitely still kind of coming into his own. But Sammy's uh, hella entertaining in the ring and on the mic as well too. So this match is pretty good between these two. Uh, at some point you have Jake Hager coming out. And uh, man, you know, they're calling him the big hurt now, I guess. Just kind of ripping off Frank Thomas. Jake Hager is just not intimidating, dude. I mean, I understand the dude's big. I understand the dude's an, a legit MMA fighter. He's a legit badass, but he just looks like a fucking goof. He is a hilariously stiff goof. Like he, he does. He look. He walks out, and it's like he doesn't know how to like stand. Like it, it's like every step he he takes is like so thought out. And it's like not organic. It's just very, like I said, it's very stiff. 
I don't buy Hager as a a heavy for a group. But Hager ended up factoring into the uh, the finish of this match. So Dustin was going through the for the shattered dreams, right? And then the the ref basically holds him off, and then Sammy comes back and hits him with a low blow himself with the referee distracted. Great finish. I love the finish. Just a, a simple finish, but you have a heel winning with heel tactics. And you don't see that enough. You need a reason to boo a guy. You can't just have a guy. You can't have heels winning clean all the time. So love that finish. Match was good too. Crazy flip pile driver on the apron by Dustin Rhodes at some point. You know, the uh, the obligatory Canadian destroyer on AEW Dynamite. I don't think there's been one episode without any. Um, and you're going to see even more in the main event. So I've let my thoughts be known on flip pile drivers. And just in general, crazy moves like that. In this case, it was okay because the only reason it wasn't the finish was because J.K. got involved. So not too concerned in this instance, but we'll love to see them tone down on it in the future. Um, after this match, you have Private Party backstage. Is this the first time they've had mic time? I feel like it might be, unless it's been on, they've been on like dark or something, or just like a a promo I might have missed at some point, but. That's one thing I noticed with their tag division. Actually, with I mean, a lot of their roster in general, it seems like they're kind of just leaning on on the name that they've built prior to them coming to AEW. Or it looks like they're leaning on just their, their matches alone, and none of these guys are having ability to build characters. Private Party, all we know is that they come out through a, through a velvet rope and... I guess they party sometimes, right? But we don't know anything about these guys or what their what their motivations are or anything like that. So it's good if that they finally, finally get some sort of semblance of character development here. So they have a backstage interview time. I guess they're in a bar of some sort. Um, I don't know, man. When I see Private Party... They're, they're sloppy in the ring. They're sloppy on the mic. And really, they're just a less entertaining version of the Street Profits, in my opinion. Or a less entertaining version of the New Day. Similar, very stereotypical kind of gimmick. And they do a pretty generic job at executing it. So, who knows? I, I mean, if they're still early. It's still early in the, the development. So, I won't trash them too much. But I have no reason to care about Private Party at this point. Very telegraphed offense, very weak-looking offense. Not very high on those two, but we'll see. We'll see if they get better. But someone who is not generic is Maxwell Jacob Freeman. Friedman? 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 MJF uh, has a promo after this in the ring. Basically, what he's been building up to for a few weeks. That he's uh, basically in terms for a match with Cody at the, at the pay-per-view. MJF is given his stipulations. For the match to occur. The first one is that Cody can't touch him until the pay-per-view. Which is good. I mean, you want to build to it. I, I like the concept of two blood rivals not touching until the payoff. No interactions. No physical interactions between Cody and MJF. Only makes sense because it, it would be logical for Cody to want to tear his head off at every waking moment. So, solid stipulation there. Uh, the second stipulation is that Cody has to beat Wardlow in a steel cage, which I'm not sure when that match is going to happen, but I assume in the next few weeks or so. By the way, can anybody tell me the difference between Wardlow and Jake Hager? 
I mentioned this the other week where I couldn't tell the difference between Ricochet and Cedric Alexander. Same thing here. Can you tell me the difference between Wardlow and Jake Hager? Two stiff, moderately big dudes that pay too much attention to how their hair looks. Not Neither of them are particularly intimidating, and both of them are just stoic, blonde dudes that don't talk. I don't know. Seems like there is uh, some one-trick poniness happening here. Happening here. Um, so Cody versus Wardlow in a steel cage is the thing that's going to happen, which inevitably Cody will win, obviously, because they're building to this match. And then the third stipulation was that at some point, Cody has to get on his knees and get whipped by MJF's belt 10 times, which is kinky as fuck. And I like it. Anyways, good promo by MJF. Solid build to this match between MJF and Cody that will happen at the next pay-per-view. So good stuff here. Like what they're doing. What do I don't like is this main event. This kind of embodies a lot of the stuff that I have not been liking about AEW. A lot of no-selling, a lot of meaningless moves, three flip pile drivers in this match. Like, at some point, it just becomes lazy. Yeah, man, Lucha Bros. I mean, I was so high on the Lucha Bros, like, in early Lucha Underground days. But it seems like they just don't care anymore, and they're just going out there to do the most... Just get some pops. That's all they're doing, is getting pops. They're not building their characters. They're not having cohesive matches with intricate stories. They're just doing things to get the crowd to stand up and clap. And to me, that's not what wrestling is. However, I do like the story they're telling with... Kenny Omega and Hangman Page. Hangman Page is on commentary during this match. I, I should I should state that this main event match is the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega versus the Lucha Brothers and Pac with Hangman Page on commentary. I like what they're doing here with, you know, Hangman's trying to separate himself from the elite. And then he finds out during this match that next week him and Kenny are going to team up to face um to face somebody. I forget who they're facing, but basically they're teaming up and uh, Hangman Page finds out while he's on commentary and he's kind of frustrated at the fact that he keeps getting teamed with Kenny. So I like the slow build here, uh, obviously leading to a match between Kenny and Ome- and, uh, between Kenny and Hangman at the next pay-per-view, which should be a pretty good match. So liking what they're doing as far as that goes. As far as this main event match goes here, the six-man tag, uh, the Elite wins with uh, Kenny winning with the one-winged angel. And uh, after the match, they invite Hangman to step into the ring and celebrate, but Hangman declines because he didn't think that he earned the win, so he didn't want to get in the ring and hog all the glory, uh, even though Cody did just that. So I like what they did here. You know, the Elite, it's a weird thing, right? Because they're the EVPs of the company, right? In my mind, it seems like they're kind of self-conscious about booking themselves to be strong, that they're trying too hard to not book themselves as winners. So what that has resulted in and is them looking like chumps. But this win right here and then in the past few weeks, they've been establishing themselves as the, uh, the top dogs of the company and as credible performers. Which in my opinion, they should have done that from the beginning. Just build them up as the top and then have other competitors try to knock them down. So 
kind of figuring it out as they go. I think they've, they're learning from some of their mistakes. So some good stuff in this match. But like I said, man, you had like, there was that one spot where Phoenix got, um, Snapdragon suplexed by Kenny. And that's such like a devastating looking move. But then Phoenix just literally, he gets suplexed and then just kips up, does a roll into a cutter. And then it'd be one thing if he hit the cutter, then just kind of went limp, but he just his hits the cutter, goes for the pin, and acts like he didn't just get obliterated. You know, shit like that I don't need. Shit like that kind of takes me out of it. So, But overall, AEW Dynamite this week was pretty good. Pretty good. Probably one of my favorite episodes so far, honestly. And that brings us to SmackDown. Opening match, SmackDown. It's a uh, triple threat tag team women's match. So you have uh, Banks and Bailey versus Dana Brooke and Lacey Evans versus Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. So they're kind of uh, pushing forward this whole the whole personal rivalry rivalry between uh, Sasha Banks and Lacey Evans, while also keeping Bailey in the spotlight as the SmackDown Women's Champion, while also keeping Bliss and Cross in the in the spotlight as credible contenders for the. Women's Tag Team Championships, while also giving Dana Brooke a rub by getting the win in this match. So it was a pretty effective match, I think. It was a, it was kind of a whatever, you know. It was solid, I guess. Um, I wouldn't, you know, go out of your way to see it if you haven't. But um, I, I like what they're doing with the. Uh, I've said it before. I like what they're doing with the SmackDown's Women Division. I think it's low key one of the uh, the best things going on that show. But uh, <laughs> speaking of the women, you have Mandy Rose. And Otis in the next segment. Man, what a twisted web this weave is. Um, Top tier drama, in my opinion. You have, uh, I guess, Otis gave Mandy a cake. But then Dolph Ziggler stomped on the cake. But now Otis is mad at Mandy. I don't It's a whole thing. But um, this kind of like, I guess, fires up Otis. And then he ends up, you know, going out there and squashing Drew Gulak, which... By the way, give Drew Gulak needs to go to NXT, man. That dude is such a unique, entertaining character. He has so much value, and I feel like none of it is being utilized. Go back and watch Drew Gulak versus Matt Riddle on NXT. That was one of the best matches of NXT TV last year. Go back and watch, you know, I don't know. Any of his his cruiserweight title matches. Go watch him versus Leo Rush. Go watch Drew Gulak versus Tony Nese. Drew Gulak can go, man. And I feel like he's kind of undersized, so he's kind of just being fodder for guys. Send Drew Gulak to NXT where that man can thrive, because that dude is the shit. But in present day, you have him being squashed by Otis, who is basically... If uh, if too cool was mashed into one person, that's who Otis is, which is not necessarily a bad thing, I guess. But come on, man, give Drew Gulak some give Drew Gulak some love. Um, after that, you have like one of my favorite parts of the show. You have a little interaction between Miz and Kofi backstage, and uh, Biggie and Kofi are they have like a little platter with pancakes in the shape of 2020 with syrup all over it. Miz walks up and they have a little back and forth. Miz gets all pissed off at him. And then Miz, he, he swats the platter to knock it on the ground, right? But he came so close to missing it. 
but he like barely grazed it. I, it would have made my year if Miz would just like attempted to swat it and just completely missed and had to like <laughs> do it again. Like he had to like swat at it twice to get it. To- Goofy little thing there. That I don't know if a lot of people caught it, but basically setting up a Miz versus Kofi match later in the show. Um, I mean that must that must be like the the most replicated match of the 2010s, is it not? I feel like these two are fight have been fighting forever. But later in the show, they had a match. It was a solid match with uh, Kofi getting the sneaky roll up win as a counter to the skull crushing finale. Basically, rolled Miz up, and then Miz effectively turned heel again by uh, attacking Kofi after the match. Um pretty much yelling at the crowd saying that they don't care about everything he's going through, you know, with the fiend terrorizing his family and everything the Miz has given them. They haven't given them anything back. So I think it's good. I mean, I think this is a good thing. I think Miz is a baby face has run his course. I think he only has like a, I think that only has so many legs to it. Miz absolutely thrives as a heel. That's just who he is. That's just how he that's just how he operates. That's just where his the most value is gained from him. So uh, happy to see that. Also happy to see John Morrison pop up later in the show, walking out of Miz's locker room. It's kind of an anti-climax. I mean, I guess he had kind of had already appeared on the bump and all that, and he's already on WWE backstage. So he kind of already returned, so you didn't need the whole him coming out with his entrance and all that, you know, just a little, a little tease at a uh, Ms. Morrison reunion. And seems like it's leading to a new day versus Ms. Orison match, which I am all for kind of a uh, generational matchup. Then you have the whole deal with Chad Gable and the, I'm sorry, Shorty G and the revival. I don't know if I've asked this before, but has it ever been explained why Shorty G all of a sudden switched switched to basketball shorts? Like they keep saying he's like kind of embraced who he is, but I mean, is he a is he a former basketball player? Was he uh, was he in Space Jam? Is that who he is? Because I don't get the basketball shorts, and I kind of takes me out of his character. I want Olympic Chad Gable. I want either you know the singlet trunks or whatever. I'll see why he had to change all that. I don't see why he cut his hair in the first place. I think his original look with American Alpha would have benefited him. and It would have made him stand out more so than this goddamn stupid neon green basketball shorts. But I digress. You have him and uh, you have him in the revival backstage. And I mean, the revival are like making short jokes, even though he he literally calls himself Shorty G. Not to mention, like, Scott Dawson is he's probably like two inches two inches taller than shorty g so <laughs> and cole kind of made fun of him because you know this turns into a match between shorty g and dash wilder with scott dawson on commentary and scott dawson still like making short jokes towards chad gable kind of in an inarticulate way he, he, you could tell like he didn't really believe what he was saying but scott dawson is making short jokes and cole he's <laughs> like what are you talking about andre basically referencing that scott dawson himself is not tall and for him to make short jokes would be asinine but maybe uh maybe tell the writers that because you have people like mike Canellis and other guys that are like barely taller than chad gable calling him short it's just uh 
That's just another guy like similar similar to Drew Gulak. Shorty G, Chad Gable has so much ability. He has so much charisma. He's he has charisma. He has in ring ability, and he is a legit Olympic athlete. There is no reason why this guy shouldn't be a star, but they're just neutering him with this goddamn stupid basketball jersey and his stupid name and the stupid short jokes associated with him. Glad he got the win here against Dash Wilder, and um, also glad that he appears to be entering a program with the returning Sheamus, which, by the way, glad to see Sheamus back, but my man literally returned in the exact same way that he did the last time he returned from injury. Do y'all remember that? He came out like when he debuted his mohawk. He came out, he uh, he chased off, I forget who it was, but somebody was beaten down on Daniel Bryan. Sheamus comes out, runs them off, and then turns around and broke kicks Daniel Bryan, turning heel. Literally the same thing here, but with Chad Gable. So one thing I will say is, as uncreative as it is, I think they were onto something back then with Daniel Bryan and Sheamus. But they kind of it kind of trailed off because people were chanting, "You look stupid at Sheamus," and he kind of did. He had the stupid tassels in his beard or whatever, so that kind of halted his momentum back then. But hopefully now they get a chance to kind of have a second chance at building a badass Sheamus who who just does nothing but kick the shit out of the uh, the smaller guys on the roster. Sheamus is uh, one of the unsung heroes of WWE and would love to see him get a uh, get another push because that dude can go. Glad to see Sheamus back. Speaking of Sheamus, his former barmate Cesaro was in action on this episode against Braun Strowman. I am so glad that Cesaro got rid of the goddamn sweatpant capris that he was wearing inexplicably. I don't know, at some point they just decided, hey, let's throw Chad Gable in basketball shorts. Hey, let's throw these weird sweatpants on Cesaro. Why? Doesn't matter. We're not going to explain it. Just put it on, asshole. Like, I I didn't get it. He was wrestling in tennis. It was was a whole weird thing. But he's back in trunks, back in boots, looking as badass as ever. So it's like a silly thing to focus on, but it's not. You know what I mean? I can now take him seriously as a competitor and for him to go up against a guy like Braun Strowman and have a competitive match I was uh I was presently surprised at that um these two hosses having it was a pretty uh pretty entertaining match these two hosses going at each other no surprise Braun Strowman ends up getting the win with the power slam but then gets uh kinshasa right after the match which Strowman Pretty much no no sells, which is kind of irritating, but basically building up to an IC title match between Shinsuke and Braun Strowman. Would not doubt Strowman taking the strap off of Shinsuke here. Um, my man needs something because uh, Lord knows they do not want to give him the world title for whatever reason. And in your main event, you have Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan versus Corbin and Ziggler. Um, kind of, you know, your cookie cutter smackdown tag match man event here basically breaking down into daniel bryan about to beat dolph ziggler but then the fiend interferes and attacks daniel bryan 
they kind of have a little back and forth there, but Bray Wyatt ends up throwing in a pretty badass looking spot. Bray Wyatt ends up throwing Daniel Bryan through the barricade and then uh, pretty much locking on the mandible claw, incapacitating Bryan, and then just dip setting out of there. So you have Daniel Bryan laid out, you have the fiend out of there. So basically, Corbin and Ziggler just start beating down on Roman. And who comes to the save but the Usos? Love the Usos. Love that they're back and love that they're with Roman Reigns. I've always wanted to see like a heel faction with those three, but you know what? I'll take I'll take this. The bloodline is always an entertaining thing to see. And the Usos will bring a fresh breath of fresh air to the SmackDown tag division, which in my opinion it's kind of a necessity right now, so good to see the Usos back. Good to see good to see Sheamus back. Good to see John Morrison back. Lots of returns here. Lots of uh, lots of good stuff on SmackDown. I think SmackDown's. Um, I've said it before. You know, it being on a Friday, I think it kind of flies under the radar a little bit. But SmackDown's been doing some pretty good stuff lately. So love what they're doing there. And with that. I think that pretty much wraps it up. I'm going to go ahead and uh, tune in to Raw. And uh, even though I've already laid out to you a lot what's going to happen tonight. But I'll go ahead and watch it unfold myself. Um, I would, I would great, greatly appreciate if you uh, followed or subscribed to wherever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, give me a rating. Give me a five-star rating because we all know I am five stars all the way. Don't lie to yourselves. Don't just get on. 